Uh, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We are on James chapter 3. We'll be reading the first 12 verses. Uh, keep your finger there. Uh, also turn to Genesis 1. I'll be reading verse 26 through 28. Uh, Beloved congregation, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's turn now to James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. So James is picking up on a theme that he's glossed over before, uh, namely bridling the tongue. Last week, uh, we saw James argue that our works show our faith. I think this time, James is arguing that our words show our hearts. So for James, our works and our words are deeply connected because they're mutually informing. Uh, This is precisely what Jesus faulted the scribes and Pharisees for not recognizing. He said to them, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. You see, saying and doing go together. Since James focused on works last time, this time he is focusing on words. Uh, Think about how personal this must have been for James. This is the brother of Jesus, right? I bet he had some not-so-nice words for Jesus growing up. Uh, Imagine them as kids and James saying to Jesus, I hate you. You're such a doo-doo head, right? Uh, And it wasn't until much later did James know who his brother was. Uh, So James had had an ample time uh, to reflect on on his own words to Jesus, how truly hurtful they were. Uh, Now in our passage this morning, James wants to warn us about the destructive power of words, that speech is capable of tremendous evil, and capable simultaneously of destroying people. Uh, Our simple idea this morning is is this. Uh, Take control of your tongue, which is capable, capable of great good and great evil, that you might bless the Lord and those made in His image. In other words, bless the Lord with your tongue, with your words, as you would people. And so James opens with a word of caution. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, personally, James's words here are difficult since I'm called to teach. And so they're sobering. Uh, but I think James has different kinds of teachers in mind as well. Uh, there's, of course, those who are officially ordained to teach in the church, uh, like pastors and elders. Uh, but maybe he also has in mind those who teach in personal settings, Um, those who love being the center of attention and want to be known for how much they know. Uh, But in any case, James cautions, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Uh, Notice again James' pastoral angle. He addresses them as brothers and not as strangers. Uh, This is a family issue for James, you see. And it's not a surprise that James would single out teachers. Uh, Why? Because they're called to talk a lot. Uh, They're uh, they're constantly using their tongue in a public setting. 
And you can't really teach without using many words, can you? Uh, unless you're Yoda or something. But with many words, teachers are more prone to make mistakes. The more words, the more errors. Uh, James gets this from the wisdom tradition of Israel. Uh, Proverbs 10. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Uh, but James knows there's something really appealing about becoming a teacher. And maybe it's something that appeals to you as well. Uh, you might be attracted to the respect that comes along with it. Uh, teaching comes also with authority. And that might be alluring to you. Uh, they definitely appealed to the scribes and the Pharisees uh, because they loved prestige and they desired power. Uh, that's why Jesus makes this judgment against them. Uh, he said, uh, And they loved the place of honor at feasts and the, and the best uh, seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Uh, this is why James says teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Um, the people that James is writing to knew that, and we know that. The more responsibility, the more accountability. It comes with the territory of becoming a teacher. And not only that, uh, James doesn't believe that any teacher can measure up to the standard. Everyone falls short. Uh, why? Because we're all sinners. We all stumble in numerous ways when we talk. We make verbal mistakes. We all say things that, that hurt people. Uh, you know, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not intentional. But either way, um, uh, teachers are called to a higher standard. Uh, teachers are judged more severely, but they also stumble. Uh, no wonder James warns us that many uh, should not be quick to become teachers. But with that said, James believes that there are qualified teachers uh, whom he calls a perfect man. Uh, don't mi misunderstand James here. Right? He's, he's not talking about flawlessness. He's not talking about infallibility. Uh, rather, James is talking about verbal purity. He's talking about teachers who have had the implanted word deep in their hearts and are able to love people with their words. Um, they're fulfilling the royal law of loving neighbors as themselves with the way they speak. So James is really after maturity, not sinless perfection. Uh, because he just said, all of us stumble in many ways. Uh, you know, the way we talk to each other is a sign of our growth in the Lord. It's not so much how much we know, it's how lovingly we communicate what we know. That's a sign of growth. Uh, such a person is, James says, able to bridle his whole body. He can control his body with his speech. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, but maybe James is also referring to the church as a body here. 
because think about teachers and their roles in the body of Christ, the church. They have the sobering responsibility of teaching the ways of God. Uh, they are able to guide the church, Jesus' body, with their words. Uh, I, I like how one writer puts it. He says, The teacher who controls the tongue is one who can guide the whole body. Uh, that's how powerful the tongue is for James. It has the ability to even guide something as big and as important as the church. Uh, James's basic point is this. The tongue is small, but it is capable of controlling big things. Uh, this is what James's two illustrations are about. Uh, the first is controlling big horses uh, with small bits. The second is a small rudder uh, controlling a big ship. Uh, in both of these examples, small things have the ability to direct and guide really big things. Uh, and so it is with the tongue. Uh, even though it's a small member in your body, it has the ability to control the whole thing. The tongue is that powerful. Uh, I think this is kind of tricky to understand. Uh, I was wrestling with this. It was kind of difficult to understand. Uh, so let me put it this way. Have you ever been criticized? I mean, who hasn't been criticized, right? Uh, being criticized is hard and it's painful. And maybe it was, um, it was fair or it was unfair. But the way we respond with our words to a criticism can make a world of difference. Uh, we can use our words to defend ourselves. I mean, you're just flat out wrong. I don't want to talk to you anymore. We can give them, we can give uh, an even more bitter criticism in return. But we know where that leads, don't we? It leads to anger and resentfulness. Or we can use our words to show grace and love. To a criticism, we can say, thank you, I'm going to think about what you said, I'll take it to the Lord and pray. That's a totally different response, but it makes a world of differences. It changes, it changes us, doesn't it? Instead of defensiveness and anger, we will experience peace and growth. So now we are looking for truth in what has been said to us and growing from it rather than responding in bitterness and defensiveness. All because of the way we used our tongue. James says, that's the power of the tongue. It's like putting a bit in a horse's mouth and controlling what is otherwise wild. It's like using a rudder to guide a big ship in the midst of a, in the midst of a storm. Uh, but with great power... Uh, there comes great danger. Uh, this is why James says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Uh, most of the time in the Bible, uh, when the tongue boasts of great things, it's not good. Uh, it's usually an arrogant kind of speech. Uh, here's an example from Psalm 12. 
May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us who is master over us. You see, the tongue can be an instrument of great pride. And so with that danger in mind, uh, James turns our attention to another small thing, uh, a small fire. Uh, the mouth of arrogant men can produce a small fire. Uh, James gets, gets this from Proverbs, uh, where it says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Uh, you know, it's a small fire. Think of a candle with a small flame. Uh, you see, when, when the conditions are right, uh, something so small, like a small flame, can burn an entire forest down. It's very much like the bit and the rudder, isn't it? They are small, but capable of controlling big things. Uh, but there's a huge difference that I want you to see. You see, the horse is controlled by a horseman or a horse rider. Uh, with a bit, right? And a ship is controlled by a pilot with a rudder. Uh, but this small fire cannot be controlled. It cannot be bridled. Rather, it controls you. Uh, the tongue then becomes a world of unrighteousness, according to James. What does that mean? A world of unrighteousness. Well, it means we will be given to... Unrighteousness, given over to unrighteousness, we will oppose God's design of peace and equity with our words. And we will find ourselves spewing out words of injustice and favoritism. An uncontrolled tongue takes over the whole life, James says. And you have no power over it. It just keeps burning and burning, leaving everything, everything to ashes. Uh, James tells us it will stain the whole body. Uh, because bad words can be incredibly corrupting. Um, I, I, I just don't mean, you know, those really bad four-letter words. Um, but any word that isn't wholesome and peaceable can corrupt a whole person. Uh, this is why Jesus said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. You ever thought about that before? What comes out of our mouth defiles us. It makes us unholy. How we use our words can either sanctify us or stain us. Because you see, for James, there's death and life in the tongue. It's powerful enough to make alive, but it's also dangerous enough to kill. So it is vitally important that we take control of our tongues. Uh, but James goes on to explain that that's a difficult thing to do, taming our tongue, taking control of it. Uh, you know, man has been able um, to subdue or tame any animal in the world. If you've ever been at the zoo, uh, you know this, right? Small animals, subdued. Regular-sized animals, tamed. Really big animals, domesticated. 
man has been able to subdue every animal that it comes across. It's really incredible how people can domesticate wild animals. Uh, you know, just the other day, I was, I was watching a Russian couple um, who raised a bear on YouTube or, or Facebook. I don't remember. Uh, and don't ask me why I ended up watching that. Uh, anyway, this bear got separated from its family when it was a cub. It was very small. And this Russian family saved it and raised it as their own. I, I mean, this wasn't a small bear. This was a grizzly bear. It was huge. Uh, but it's become part of their family. Now the family plays with it like it's a puppy. I mean, I can't even tame my own son. I can't, I can't even keep him still. And they've domesticated a giant bear. I mean, do you know what I learned from that video? I ain't messing with no Russians, right? <laughs> and that man can tame any animal in the world. I mean, didn't God call man to subdue the earth? To have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth? And so in some ways, this is a fulfillment of the creation mandate. What God has instructed from the very beginning. Uh, but James says, not so fast. There's something that you can't tame. It's not out there in the wild. It's not even that big. It's a small animal living inside of you. That's right, it's your tongue. I like what one writer said about this. He said, irony of ironies, that small beast, the tongue, defies subjugation. You can tame a grizzly bear, you can tame a tiger, but you can't tame your tongue. The tongue is more wild than a roaring lion. James says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It can't keep silent in saying what is wrong and what is hurtful. And this is actually a common image in Judaism. Uh, it refers to gossiping, slandering, backbiting, or, or other kinds of evil talk. And, and for, for Jews, uh, these weren't small sins, right? They're on par with idolatry, sexual sins, and even murder. The tongue is a restless animal, and it can't be tamed. Uh, but notice what kind of beast uh, James likens the tongue to. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's like a serpent or a snake, right? That's our ancient enemy, the serpent. That's what it reminds me of. The cunning serpent back in the Garden of Eden. The one who used his tongue to burn the entire world down. Uh, the psalmist makes use of this image. Uh, he says, They make their tongue sharp as a serpent, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Um, which is language that Paul famously picks up on in Romans 3. Here's what I think James's point is. Whenever we use our tongue for evil, we act and speak like the serpent. Uh, 
like the devil. Because we are doing what the serpent desires. Uh, Jesus makes the same point to the religious leaders of his day. Uh, he said to them in John 8, You are of your father the devil, for your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, an uncontrolled tongue brings all kinds of evil in our midst. And it makes us deceitful. And so the question is, how absurd is it to think we can speak, let alone teach, when we can't control our tongues? And so James points out this inconsistency. Uh, he says, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Blessing and cursing. You know, we are apt to bless God with our tongue, aren't we? God is not to be trifled with, and we know it, and we bless Him. But not so much with people. Sometimes we find it okay to curse them, we, to speak badly of them, to speak unkind words about them. You know, especially those people that we just can't stand or find annoying. We think that's okay, but it's not. James says, these two things, blessing the Lord and cursing our brothers and our sisters, are incongruent. They don't ever belong together. It's like saying that you have faith, but you have no works. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Because it's sheer hypocrisy. It's like the double-minded man in, in chapter 1. I hope you remember him. It's that person who says, God loves me, he loves me not. He is tossed and driven by the wind. And so it is here. There's so much inconsistency. From the person who is one moment blessing the Lord and the next moment cursing those made in His image. And James wants us to take note. Uh, such people are made in the likeness of God. They're not just some beasts. It makes sense uh, James is appealing to the image of God here because he just made the connection, the connection with Genesis, didn't he? about taming animals. Uh, James says people are not animals to tame. They are made in God's own likeness. That's why it's so inconsistent to bless God on the one hand and curse people on the other. And so we, when we curse our neighbors, we are simultaneously cursing God Himself. Because can we sincerely bless our God if we're simultaneously cursing our neighbors who are made in the likeness of God? I say we can't. You know, this line of thinking, of course, is not unique to James. Uh, the Ten Commandments are ordered this way. 
the first table are about loving God. The second table are about loving our neighbors. Uh, you see, the two are closely related. How can we love God and if we hate those who represent Him? We can't. And so let me ask you this. What's the relationship between the words that you use with people and the words that you use with God? Are they consistent? Do they match? Or do you speak out of both sides of your mouth? Do you speak good words to God and do you speak evil words to God's people? Uh, James illustrates this inconsistency with a few images. Uh, he says, Does a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, what are all these things? They're all images of people using uh, their words to destroy those made in the likeness of God. Uh, and, and notice James' uh, familial language again. It's the way he began this section and it's the way he ends it. He says, my brothers and sisters. Uh, you see, James is like an older brother reminding his siblings of something by this time they should already know. That destructive words don't belong in the family of God. It's as crazy as a spring having fresh and salt water, a fig tree producing olives, a grapevine producing figs, or a salt pond yielding fresh water. It cannot be. God takes our words too seriously not to care. Uh, Jesus says something that should sober all of us. Uh, it should make us rethink the way we use our words with one another. Uh, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. You will be made known for who you are by your words. And by your words you will be condemned. Beloved, how are you using your words? Words matter. Uh, Jesus, Jesus speaks tenderly to you this morning. His words are full of goodness and grace. He is God's eternal word made flesh. And so Jesus Christ is our true rabbi. He's our true teacher. And Jesus has taught us not only to bless the Father, but also those made in God's likeness. He is the word who preached Good news to those who are broken by sinful words. That there is forgiveness because the incarnate word was crucified. You know, as the, word, as the crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus did not speak a word. He, remi he remained silent. He was silent before the very ones he came to save. That's us. Jesus' silence speaks to us even to this day. The word was condemned to tame our evil tongues. 
that you might speak a word of blessing to us, to us who are made in the likeness of our God. Let me, let me just end with this reflection. You know, how many of us go to church on Sunday mornings, praising and blessing God with our tongues? And by the time Sunday afternoon comes around, we are talking smack about other people. How many of us do that? Or how many of us are tweeting something demeaning about people we disagree with as soon as church is over? Or are posting words on Facebook that makes others look stupid? How many of us do that? Brothers and sisters, we need to tame our tongue. If it's going to be a fire, if our tongues are going to be a fire, then let it be like the tongues on fire in the book of Acts, on fire for the gospel. May we speak good news to those around us, even if we are misunderstood. You know, the world is characterized by evil and careless words. Careless words are everywhere. They're all over social media. They're in books. They're in political arenas. They're in family rooms. And so how different are your words? We should be, as God's people, those who's, uh, who have been born again by the implanted word upon our hearts. We should be characterized by caring words and not careless words. Words that bind wounds, not words to project our insecurities, not words that curse people made in the likeness of God. Are your words caring? Are they kind? Are they good? How many of us have been hurt by stinging words? Oftentimes they come from those we love most. Hurtful words can be deeply traumatic. Uh, even a single word can leave us spinning for years. They can leave us with lasting pains. Words are powerful. Uh, one writer said, I like this, he said, Far easier to heal are the wounds caused by sticks and stones than the damage caused by words. Beloved, May we be a people who heal with our words because we have been healed by the word. And so this meal before us is God's way of making visible to you his invisible word. The words of Rabbi Jesus are right here. They're being made known to us visibly. The bread and the wine shows us a word of blessing that God has a heart for those made in His likeness. So Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate, faced the strictest of judgments. He hung on a cross and endured our brutality upon His shoulders. But worst of all, He was abandoned by His own Father. The Word became silent so that this meal can speak loud and clear. It is finished. All your careless words are forgiven. Come, eat, and feast on the word. Amen. I'd like to invite our elders now that we might partake of the Lord's Supper. Let us pray and give thanks. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,
All praises and honor and glory belong to you alone. We worship you for your abounding grace and ever faithful word. Thank you for giving us your written word that we might learn what it means to speak graciously with kindness. Uh, may we learn to speak your language of generosity and compassion towards one another. For the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lord made flesh. In his name we pray. Amen.